drive. And I really truly believe that anybody can be successful. It just takes hard work. You're about to embark on a journey where you're going to walk on a lot of glass and eat thorns. I believe that anyone who is a startup is absolutely privileged because they get to leave a legacy behind. They get to actually create something that makes a difference in the world. Welcome to season three of the WeStrive podcast, brought to you by the WeStrive app, where we are the first marketplace for the personal training industry. Search through thousands of fitness plans from hundreds of certified trainers in the app, or sign up as a trainer at WeStriveApp.com. On this podcast, we interview entrepreneurs that are changing the world. We've had millionaire founders, top-level investors, and just some of the most inspiring people that you'll ever meet. Entrepreneurship is all about striving for greatness, and I hope the stories you hear on this podcast inspire you to go out and become a better version of yourself. Now, let's get to the episode. We strive. Hey, We Strive listeners. This week we have Farhaj Mayan, Vic Saucy, and Laurent Grill, and they're all going to be talking to us about pitch decks. Okay. If you're building a pitch deck, there are so many elements to it. I personally have probably gone through, let's call it a thousand pitch decks. I just updated mine a couple days ago. I updated it a week before that. Probably every other day I touch it. So they give some incredible advice. Farhaj is a wonderful entrepreneur. He was one of our episodes, I believe episode 52. Vic Saucy is one of the original members at Dreamers VC, so he's a main partner there, and that is Will Smith's venture fund. So he gives a lot of input. We go a little bit too in-depth with him. We kind of get out of pitch decks, but I just had so many Will Smith-related questions. I hope you can forgive me. And finally, Laurent Grill is a VC out of the Santa Monica area. He has seen thousands of pitch decks over the years, and he is the main investor and head guy over at Luma Launch. We're really excited to have all of these people. Next week, we're going to have a follow-up episode with Jess Laurent Grill, so his full episode. In this episode, we've got about an hour of amazing content, so I really hope you guys learn a lot about pitch decks. And if you have any pitch deck questions, please go to the info on this podcast, and all three people have left their information and then links to pitch decks that you should definitely check out. Enjoy. Up first, my good buddy, Farhaj Mayan. Sounds like a plan. Um, my name is Farhaj Mine, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Canna, a platform for cannabis farms and dispensaries to hire, train, and manage their workforce. Boom, and you guys are killing it, so I want to say congrats. Thanks, bro. We're we're working through. We're pushing through. <laughs> oh, uh, greatest thing about being home with the family for a few weeks, my room has been quiet for, I swear, like a week straight. The moment I push record, my dad starts, he's working right outside my window. <laughs> Like, I think he's like literally like moving a ladder around and shit. I'm like, like, I swear the moment I hit record, I was like, what is going on? He's like pushing a ladder up against the wall. Um, so here we are, here we are, COVID, COVID probs. So I'm going to bust out like 10 different questions here. Just kind of about pitch mm-hmm. decks. I know you've won several competitions. Um, your pitch decks are always looking amazing. So I always go to you for pitch deck advice. And so what is the best way in your opinion to get an angel or VC to look at your pitch deck, just to even look at it. And then we'll go from there. Yeah. You know, they, they say like the cold email or the, the first like conversation, the entire purpose of that is to schedule your second meeting. And the deck is something that you send not to really close the conversation, but in, to incite like your next wave of questions. So I think a lot of times it's like having the hook in your copy, whether it's like in conversation or when you send a cold email, 
that's what gets people to take a look at your deck, right? Be very directed in one sentence, tell them exactly what you're building, where you're at today, you know, where, what growth trajectory looks like, like what stage of product, what traction looks like. So yeah, vaguely, those are the, the most important things. It's just like three parts theater and one part math. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I was talking, I interviewed uh, Laurent, Laurent Grill yesterday, yeah. who's a, a VC in LA. And he was talking about, it's all about storytelling and absolutely. keeping that first, first email short. So I couldn't agree more. Um, and then on top of that, so once you get them in the in the in the door, like what is your next step usually? Yeah, so I'm very open and honest and transparent about everything internally. Uh, I actually like go ahead and share the due diligence packet usually before they even ask for it. Uh, you know, and I pay a lot of attention to detail to my design uh, to make sure that the storytelling and the, like the the experience that somebody has when they're going through my deck is very cohesive. So usually, what happens is I have my first meeting. You know, I either hit it right off the bat, or I know that, uh, you know, there's a, a second call to action or it's not a fit. Uh, if it's one of the other two, I usually send a very short, brief, um, cold email or warm email with my deck attached. And I'm like, please shoot me a note and feel free to ask me if you have any cues. Right. That's my, that's my move of choice. <laughs> and then how often would you say you work on your pitch deck? Almost every week. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. I'm constantly <laughs> iterating. <laughs> It's the worst, dude. I I can't. St- I'm like a. I, I honestly really enjoy it though. I'm like, ooh, yep. this would look way better, and it's it sucks too because then you'll see someone else's and, and then all of a sudden you feel like yours looks like terrible. Rookie so you have to go mistake through and, is dude, sending no, the no, wrong dude. deck to somebody. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I have I have the the most like just paranoid like design mindset. Like literally, yeah. I just partnered up with this guy who sent me like this really cool you know, kind of like pitch uh, or not pitch, but like um, onboarding funnel kind of a thing. And then I was like, I'll build my own and kind of try this out because I don't really, I've never really used funnels before personally. And I built it. I thought it looked really good. And then I took a look at his again and I was like, I just deleted everything I had built and had to go off his. In, <laughs> in, in the defense of the conversation, his did look way better. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I totally feel you on that. Um, so do you have like a specific order that you go about when you build your deck? Yeah, you know, it's fairly standard, but I, I think like it that depends from company to company, right? Some companies, for example, if you're in the hardware, medical or regulated industry space um, and you haven't launched your product or you haven't had a lot of traction, sometimes it's worthful, like worth it to like just put your OG team right up front, right? And then close like the fact that you have an amazing team and now people want to know more about what you're building. Uh, some people go ahead with that generic flow, which is problem, solution, you know, market size, product, pricing, traction, and so on, all the way till the end, it's the vision or their raise or their ask. So I think it depends from company to company, but for the most part, I think Guy Kawasaki's 10 slide model uh, is, is, is a really good starting point. Yeah, ex- exactly. I've looked up those, you know, Airbnbs and all that fun stuff yeah. so many times. Uh, solid decks, solid decks. I think if you're looking for deck inspiration, Front, uh, Matilda Collins Company, their seed and Series A deck are fire. Like that's that's what gave me a lot of inspiration on the direction to take with Canvas deck. Good to know, dude. Wait, so what do you uh, like when you're looking at your team slide? Like, what are you doing when you're building that out? One thing that a lot of founders don't know is a superpower is the ability to oversell your team and become their 
like super supporters and promoters is it's really like it's it's like people don't know how much of an impact it can have on an investor and usually it really depends from company to company again but if there's something like relevant industry experience if there's uh you know a logo of a company that they worked at before whether it's a startup or it's another like big enterprise that is relevant to the company today the team slide is somewhere where you can be a little creative in how you get it out there the message so for me for example i actually have little to no words in most of my slides even in my send deck not more than two sentences in every slide but in my team slide for each person i have a two paragraph short bio that really dives into what their past experiences and what that translates to in, in terms of canna and then in the bottom i also have like a little tab filled with all of the logos uh just to kind of tie it all together in a nice little knot also fun fact uh, just like you this guy has never showed up to my house before, but suddenly I have somebody mowing my entire lawn. Today. <laughs> <laughs> like I have no idea what's going on. Dude, I swear. I don't know if you were hearing it, but yeah. No, I can't hear it. But oh, no, no, crazy. like or like for what happened? I was doing one podcast and uh, it was just quiet for like forty-five minutes. We were in Venice, mm-hmm. and then as soon as we started recording, these kids started like skateboarding and yelling outside, and I was just like, okay, like I don't even <laughs> like. All right. It's just uh, ironic. So it always happens. And the more I talk about it, the more it happens. So it's kind of like whatever. Yeah. Um, but the so, theme side is important, man. Theme side is important. Boom. Absolutely. Um, so what do you do with your projections? Do you do like two years, three years, five years? Do you even put them in there? Um, I know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on projections. So let's, let's hear yours. So when I first was fundraising, right, in that pre-seed stage before, even when I was running paid pilots, I didn't have enough actual evidence or like actual strong KPIs or indication of what like my pricing model was going to look like or what scale actually looked like. And we were still figuring out um, like who our ideal customer is and how we can actually monetize a relationship with them and add value. What I did is instead of putting a graph and when you're in a position where you can't put a graph and give a lot of context, I think it's perfect. Uh, that is a perfect slide. And, you know, you can use a mix of uh, a line chart with a bar chart behind it to show uh, different types of information. Like this is the number of customers and this is the average revenue we're bringing in. And, you know, it can be a really good source of information for an investor to understand that either you've increased your monetization ability or at least take a look from the third perspective into the economic levers of your company. What I literally did was just like, I, you know, product is launched. So I put an infographic of like the Oklahoma state and I put pins into the cities where we're actually running paid pilots. And I just wrote how many paid pilots we were running, what that meant in terms of monthly revenue. And then I also put this little like four line paragraph about an experiment that we ran with respect to customer acquisition cost. And that stage is very hard to tell, right? Like, can you precisely tell what your customer acquisition cost looks like, lifetime value? I think those would just be like bare assumptions with no backing. So what I did is I just ran a $35 ad on Craigslist and we saw we got like 850 worker applications. So I just did a little bit of easy math on the side and left it there just for proof that, you know, for the, for the other side of our marketplace, we had run an experiment and this is what acquisition looked like from that experiment. So the traction slide is an interesting place where you can play around with a lot of different models. Uh, graph is the best, especially if it's true data. And with respect to assumptions, like the last thing you want to show is something over a year of projections. Uh, if there aren't like distribution channels or sales agreements or XYZ that you've already signed, which is concrete data indicating that you'll get there. Seed stage companies, that's different. That's a different ballgame. 
Yeah, two things. One, I just realized I should totally interview Vic on here. I'm going to email him in a sec. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, there's a VC that we all know. Uh, <laughs> we all, I said like everyone, but just you and I. Yeah. Um, but second thing, no, I, the, the hardest part about the traction slide is that like once you have traction, it's so easy. Like, oh, here it is. Like, you know, yeah. um, but I think, I think, yeah, being creative on it, you know, it's like, you know, you can do it like for us, like if we get a whole bunch of trainers to sign up in a few months, like, and we're not making a lot of money, but we have those trainers, you know, like actively using the platform, then we can show a, a bar graph of how much trainer growth we have. So I think it's about showing traction exactly. in whatever aspect you can find. Absolutely. It's like their, the number of daily active users, the amount of time that they're spending on the platform, the average number of programs that each uh, trainer has created, the average number of new customers that they brought in is if you can really figure out what the most relevant KPIs are and you tie that and you show how it adds value and how you can actually scale that, then I think there's something interesting for the investor to look into for your pitch deck, especially in the traction slide. I'm trying, I'm trying to think like, what, what do you, do you use like a, an appendix and all that stuff? Yes, I do. Um, so usually I try to keep my core pitch deck anywhere from 10 to 13 slides, nothing on top of that. Uh, and then in an appendix, I go really in depth and it's text heavy. Um, I do have two different versions of my deck. So I have my send deck and I have my extended deck. And the extended deck is in the due diligence packet and it goes into a little bit more like, you know, intense concepts like our flywheel or a go to market strategy or XYZ or partnerships or exit potential, stuff like that. So I do have an appendix, long story short. Dude, I, you're making me feel like I don't have enough stuff. You're going, <laughs> See, but the going last thing crazy. you want to do is put bullshit in there though. You know? No, no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like when you put in a lot of time and you talk to your customers regularly and you start to slowly move the needle of your company, you understand like a lot of things that are relevant. You know, a lot of concepts that influence your decisions. And if you're able to share that story with your investor and them kind of get into what your brain's like, you know, making the assumptions or running the company to that next level, I think it's phenomenal. But if you don't, <laughs> the last thing you want to do is mock something up together that makes no sense. I know. I, I was just telling someone this morning, like un, unrelated to pitch decks, but like, I feel like every morning I wake up and I'm so pumped for the day. And then I talk to like one other person that's an entrepreneur and they're like, for example, yeah. my buddy Adam, I uh, interviewed him on this podcast. He was like Kanye's CTO. So he knows like everything about tech. Yep. And I asked him to do like one little thing with my my email, my um SPF, whatever that thing's called, to help me with that. And then he started doing all these crazy things on his sh on sharing his screen and like mm. all these different functions and stuff that I have not only don't know what it is, but like I've never even seen someone do this. And he's like, yeah, you got to do this and then this. And he's like popping stuff up on my screen. I'm like, I know so much less today than I did yesterday. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. So if you had never told me that I need to have all this extra stuff when I send it over, and like, you don't need to, but like, you know, yeah. Um, it just, I feel like the more prepared you are and stuff you send over, the better. Like I send over a pitch deck, um, you know, like a little cover page or whatever. And then like my, my projections broken down, but it sounds like you send over more than that. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm yeah. missing something. I don't know. I mean, I send over like, you know, a good amount of information, but I never say everything about our company. Uh, I give enough higher level perspective for the investors to make educated assumptions and where we're at. Uh, we give insight into what the customers look like and we just kind of share like our top level assumptions. So it's like, it's, it's not a closer, right? A pitch deck is an opportunity for you to, in a very short amount of time, share a high level view of your company that they can absorb and uh, see if they're interested or not, plainly put. <laughs> so one thing I absolutely hate is like when I see a company's pitch deck and they have like five slides about product. 
you know, this is this feature, this is that feature, this is that feature. Like nobody cares, bro. You know, unless like you're a hardware company and there's like some sort of intellectual property tied into it, or there's the unique competitive advantage to each individual feature. If you're in the pre-seed or seed stage, you should have like one slide of product and that should be a screenshot of your app, uh, whether it's on your phone or your laptop, on a laptop, and you know, a bunch of the core features like on the left with the one liner on top. That's it. You know, talk about the business, not the product. People like for the most part don't really care about product. And if you want to talk about that and do a deep dive, you can make a product pitch deck where that's the only thing you talk about and investors can hop in and learn more. But I'm assuming they'd rather just get a demo, which you can do through a Loom video, you know? Yeah, I totally agree, man. And I, I think uh, I think I made that mistake in the past too. I, Me I too. My earlier, For sure made that mistake. Yeah, my earlier decks. <laughs> yeah. One of my earlier decks had like a... Because my because I have a double sided marketplace, and so I think the best thing you can do with your with your decks or with your business or anything in general is to take a step back and look at it that way. But then also let other people look at it because you know you get you kind of fall in love with your baby, and it's like you're like oh it does this and it does this and it does this and it does this, and it's like okay yeah like that's cool that you can change the profile picture, but I don't think that's an important feature you need to add into the the deck, you know. Yep. Um. So I mean I I think. It took me a long time. My pro, my um, let me let me pull it up so I'm not like actually just lying right now. I'm pretty sure my product, yeah, I have problem, solution, and then business model. Yeah. Oh, damn, Corey, you shortened it up. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've literally. You me, remember I reviewed. It, I was like, dude, this is really good. And like the design yeah. consistency was really good too. I really like that deck that you shared. Yeah, because it used to be a lot. Because the product, we do so many things, and now I, I'm just like, here's two pictures. You manage clients, you save time, and you can earn more. And Boom. we don't even touch on the exerciser side of it. But that that used to bother me so much because I'd be like, there's an entire revenue model, an entire perspective of this, like that makes the app really cool where you can go in the app and like download workouts and you can work probably yeah. with a trainer. But it's like, but that's you, not you don't need them to model. read that. You, that's what exactly. you bring yeah. up in the conversation, the follow up exactly. when you're telling them, what does the future look like? Boom. Tell them about product launch one, product launch two. This is exactly how you're going to get there because it's amazing, you know? And I think that it's like instead of a couple of dots, you're able to draw that whole line, right? And that's what building a relationship with an investor is about because the commitment that they make is going to be five to 10 years from now. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, dude, um, it was good having you on. Uh, I mean, we'll probably just talk again in a sec, but uh, yeah, happy to have your opinions on here. And I know you're going to keep raising more and more funding and keep killing with your company. And <laughs> I'll be sure to drop all the links in here. And do you, yeah. do you want to... Uh, if you want, if you have your link to your your pitch deck, I'd love to add that to the the page as well. Oh, absolutely! What I can do is I can, yeah, I can get it ready for public facing, and I'd be more than happy to share. And if anybody cool. wants to give feedback on my pitch deck and some things that I missed out, I'd love to hear yeah too. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Someone just tear you to shreds. There we go. Yeah, someone like cool, commenting man. just blowing me up. Yeah, exactly, dude. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. All right, man. We'll talk soon, dude. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for having me, Corey. All right. Well, awesome stuff from Farhaj. Always exciting. His website is hirecana.com. That's H-I-R-E-K-A-N-N-A.com. Definitely check it out. And he's also left a couple different pitch deck links in the info of the podcast. So definitely look into those. Up next, we're going to have Laurent Grill with Luma Launch. My name is Laurent Grill. I'm uh, the lead investor at Luma Launch. Uh, we're a pre-seed and seed fund based in San Santa Monica, California. Uh, we invest in mostly software businesses. Uh, we're vertical agnostics, so we invest across a variety of different industries. 
Um, but, uh, you know, we've been investing for about four years now and uh, you know, I've seen a lot of different companies and, and a lot of different pitches. So uh, looking forward to, to chatting a little bit more about this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad I just figured out I've been saying your name wrong the whole time. So good to know. <laughs> I'm sure that happens a lot, though. So um, perfect. So I'm just going to kind of bust through the questions here. So um, let's let's say you get like 100 pitch decks in a week. Um, I don't know if it's more or less, but like kind of ballpark, if you got that many pitch decks, like how many do you usually follow up with? Um, well, you know, I think throughout a year, depending on how you define uh, the amount of pitch decks that we see, I mean, there's, there's so many uh, cold emails and emails that get lost in the shuffle. And um, the reality is, you know, we're talking over a thousand a year that we're, we're, we're getting our eyes on. And uh, from that, you know, how you actually break it down, you know, the, the way I tell people is every company, when you, when you actually break it down based on percentages, we're looking at about point three to 0.4% of companies that we've invested in uh, are, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the breakdown. So, I mean, I, I don't actually have the exact numbers over the last four years, but I've done sort of a high level analysis and we're talking about over a thousand companies that we look, look, look at in a year, we invest in anywhere between six and nine. So you do that. That's incredible. Yeah. And then, so what's speaking of kind of what you said, like what's the best way, for that, um, you know, there's no perfect formula, obviously, but what's the best way for someone to to get their pitch deck actually seen by you and not left in spam or whatever? I mean, is there, you know, a certain route that you prefer and uh, entrepreneur follows? Yeah, I think like everyone else, the reality is, you know, you have to you have to define yourself in a in a unique way. It is really difficult to uh, take cold emails and decipher what is good and what is not good. Um, you know, a pitch deck. The problem is time. Uh, right. As a VC, you have to allocate your time. Um, and with the amount of vetted sources that are sending us, uh, it's not about a pitch deck, it's about a company, right? So it's, I think we have to define the two here. But, um, you know, when I, when I get a, a trusted source that's sending me a deal saying, hey, this is someone that I've spoken to, I've known for a long time, you should take a look, they're really great. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know about the concept, but you should definitely take a look. That time is going to be spent on that versus uh, potential lost time on something that's coming in cold. Um, but with that being said, you know, I think one massive mistake, especially on cold emails are very lengthy, long essays. Um, thinking about time, it's like, if you have 10 seconds of my attention, what is the most important thing that you could say in that 10 seconds? Absolutely. That's one thing that I've, I've taken to, I think when I was uh, earlier on, I would I would think that the long message was so important and I would go into super detail and I wanted to make sure I got every point across. And then, I mean, kind of like exactly what you just said. I mean, you know, I, I guess I wasn't empathetic to the investor, like how much time you guys have to spend doing this and how little free time you have. And so I think I yeah, just, the shorter, the better, just kind of getting your message across. So um, definitely a lesson that I've learned for sure. And so when, when you get one of these pitch decks, um, is it pretty obvious kind of right away, like after, you know, even 30 seconds that you might not go through it? Or like, do you usually go through the whole thing or kind of benefit of the doubt if like one slide's not very good? Or like, what's your kind of mindset on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is I very rarely make it through an entire deck. I mean, when someone uh, when someone pitches to me in person, I, I generally don't even like to, to have a deck up, um, at least for a first conversation. Uh, when, once we start getting into the weeds, it's, it's a little bit helpful. So you can use it as a reference. But um the, the most important at our stage, again, there, there are different stages of investing where it matters in, in a much 
uh, different light. So um, keep in mind, we're talking about pre-seed and seed, uh, where very often, you know, traction is low. Um, the the founders themselves matter far more than uh, the product, the traction or anything else, or even the market and whatnot. Um, we can get into the weeds on those various other components and the, and the KPIs that matter to the company. But when it comes down to it, I'm trying to hear a story. Um, and I think that's what, you know, we'll talk about that for a little bit. But um, when you're pitching a company, you're telling a story to a person and you're trying to engage them in that story. Um, as an investor, I think it's very important for people to remember that we're people and we want to, you know, it, I don't want to call it entertainment, but in the end, you need to keep my attention and get me intrigued in what you're doing so that I feel the, the I'm compelled to dive in more. And so early on, a deck is a great example of this. And it's a, it's a mechanism, it's a tool that you can use um, to, to tell the story more effectively. But rather than explaining something or telling me something, engage me with something that is compelling. Um, so, you know, rather than uh, laying out a, a deck and saying, here's the problem, here's the solution, here's the town, blah, blah, blah. And you kind of just check the boxes, which is like what 99% of people do. Uh, bring me into something that I can relate to, I can connect to. So here's, you know, here's John. John, uh, for his whole life, has had this problem, and he uh, has has looked for multiple solutions. And here's all of the things that he's tried, and nothing has worked. But finally, you know, he he tried our product out, and look how different his life was. And I know this is sort of high level, but the concept of actually connecting to something that me that's meaningful and creating a profile and actually walking through that storyline. There's so much value that comes from being able to do that and engaging with a character, engaging with an actual sequence that it really, you know, it, it makes a difference. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I have nothing to say. Very insightful. I'll probably, I'll probably be looking at my pitch deck after that sentence. Um, so do you have like a specific, and this is kind of hard to answer without having, you know, one in front of you, but maybe it will be easy. I don't know. Uh, do you have like a specific order that you look for? Like, are you like team slide has to be at the end? You have to have the problem right up front or... Is it, is it kind of just vary on a case-by-case -case basis? Well, that's kind of my point, right? Like, how does your narrative go? Uh, again, if you want a cookie-cutter uh, pitch deck, then you're just going to be one of a million. It's, it's, it's really about the unique story that you're telling. So if you're a SaaS solution for, um, I don't know, for, for artists or something, I don't know, let's take one of my companies. Uh, you're you're a a SaaS solution for salons and spas, and uh, you know one of the largest pain points is you're trying to create more efficiency, right? Like salons and spas, they have many appointments. They want to create more efficiency, get more appointments, thus getting more revenue. So the the story, the narrative here, is uh, I understand you as a spa owner or as a salon owner, and let's talk about the pain points that you have. So here's Let's use John again. Here's John. He owns a salon in in Beverly Hills. He makes X amount of money, but you know his margins are really low. And a lot of the reason that his margins are really low is because he's had crazy inefficiencies with X, Y, and Z. And the current solutions that he's using are X, Y, and Z. And I'm not going to name companies, but the current solutions that he's using are these antiquated methods, whether it be you know uh, uh, phone calls and pen and paper or or just old, uh, outdated software. And we noticed that there was a, a, a real uh, opportunity to help with X, Y, and Z. And so we've created this company. 
And this company is the new way for John to be able to not only book appointments, but be able to manage things on the back end, be able to sell more into his customers, increase AOV and this, this and that. And you see how it's like it's in the fabric of this the story that I'm telling about John, the salon owner, that you can actually start to inject all of the information that everyone needs to check off, which is, well, here's the the data. Uh, this is these are the competitors that are out there. Here is the uh, the total addressable market because there's you know there's 500 million Johns in the country. There's not because there's only 350 people. But there you know you kind of go into this this uh, uh, lengthy story that's sort of injecting all of the information that I as an investor would want to find out over time, rather than you telling me it. Yeah, no, I love that, and I I think I tried to do that with a deck like years ago, but I think I had like three different character personas and it was probably way too confusing. Um, so just the way you laid it out there in a couple of seconds um, sounds, yeah, sounds like very simple to do and makes a lot of sense and obviously makes it easier for the investor to look at. Um, <clears throat> so when you're looking at a team slide, is there anything specific you look for? Like do you look for a specific background of the founder? Do you look for, you know, like a full dev team? Like what are the specifics that you usually have like a minimum for? Yeah, I mean, I think again, depending on the stage, right? The later, the later stage deck you have, the more you're going to want to include some of your key team members. So if you're raising a Series A or Series B, um, it's often important to show, you know, VPC levels, um, just kind of showing how you've built out your team and the and and, and the robust nature of that. Um, as a, a, you know, obviously as a pre-seed and seed fund, you're, you're generally only showing your founders. Um, and then you may add some strategic advisors uh, that, that you've brought on board. Um, ideally, those advisors are, are official advisors rather than just people who are you know, who are your friends. Um, these are people who are in your advisory board um, and thus have equity in the company. Um, and then, you know, depending on if you've raised a little bit of money, uh, you'll, you'll often throw in sort of the venture funds uh, that have already invested in you. And so kind of giving you a little bit more validity or... Or maybe some angel investors who who, are, who really speak to your space, you know. So if you're, uh, uh, you know, a, a SaaS company selling uh, uh, selling software, and you have, I don't know, the former CTO of Microsoft, right? Like it's, there there are valuable angels out there who can validate a lot of the the various things that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I'll go from like my own perspective right now. So. I mean, we're kind of like pre-seed, uh, like kind of that area, raise a little bit of capital here to there. So, I mean, for us, like I have, you know, I have me and my other co-founder and then I've got like our, we have some pretty good advisors, but then I have like five or six people that, you know, either work for equity or kind of work part-time or just kind of are part of the platform. Do you think at this stage that's like too much, kind of like similar to the email kind of thing we were talking about earlier? Or do you think like, what, what is your opinion on that? Is that too, are you asking? Is it too much for uh, to include all of those team members on your team slide? Uh, yeah, like just at the stage we're at, like, do you think that's just like unnecessary? That's unnecessary. I think that the reality is, you know, when you're investing in a founder or a founding team, uh, those are the most important people at this stage, and, and you want to highlight them as much as you possibly can, and also get a little bit more information about them. Very cool. All right, keep it simple. Got it. Um, and then, so talking about or going to project uh, projections. So how seriously do you take projections? Obviously, like, you know, no company has ever been exactly right on exactly what they're going to do. I mean, if you see like just a big hockey stick, hockey stick growth, do you, do you even look at the deck any further? I mean, it's like, where, where's your mindset on that? Again, talking about stage, you know, if you, if you already have traction 
that is showing a certain growth trajectory, you can implicate, you can imply a few different uh, uh, potential projections. Um, I, I think, look, I mean, I, I think projections, as long as they're based in real, you know, real ideas and, and real opportunities, um, it's good to, it's good to look at, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to take everything with a grain of salt. I mean, I, look, even if, a, even if it's a late stage company, there's so many different uh, factors that come into play as you scale businesses. Um, so it's, it's really, really difficult to, I, I, I take projections with a grain of salt personally. I, you know, I, I think it's more about really trying to identify the market opportunity. Um, and I think that market opportunity is often uh, oversimplified where it's like, you know, take Uber, for example, and, and if, when Uber was originally pitching, they may have said, here is the uh, taxi market in the country, or here is the, just like the, the transportation market in the country, uh, the, um, you know, taxis and limos and whatnot. Um, and I think the reality is as an investor, you can take that information and, and sort of uh, you know, back the truck and, and figure out what the, uh, what the numbers would look like. But the reality was, you have to look through that and identify, well, okay, that's great that this is what exists today. What could exist tomorrow? And could they increase that market, which obviously Uber did, they've created an entire new market. Um, and so not a bad exercise to uh, realistically create what you think are, are potential projections. But I think as an investor, we kind of take it with a grain of salt most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I usually do like, like, three, three years of projections or whatever. And I've had some investors ask me for five. Um, yeah. One thing, I, one last thing I wanted to ask you was uh, about traction. So how important is traction to you when you're looking to invest in a company? I think that tra- depending on uh, what business you're going into, ideally we, we, we get to see some kind of, um, I don't know if traction would actually be the right word for our stage. Uh, you know, when you're as early as a, seed or pre-seed investor, you often have to take a bit of a gamble on uh, like month over month growth or, or metrics that very often are, are super helpful to understand how a company is selling or, or um, growing into a market. But with that being said, um, ideally, we're able to look at a small subset of a market to be able to understand how uh, consumers are using it. So, um, you know, con- consumer behavior and, and product market fit um, and that, that that phrase is used a lot, but I think it's really important to be able to at least understand the pain points that customers are are seeing uh, that are getting fulfilled by this product. So if your consumer products, are your consumers actually using it the way that you intended it for them to use? If not, you know, how are they using it? Um, even a small subset of customers can actually give you that insight. Um, and then on the, on the flip side, if you're a B2B product, you know, that that's for me, that's far easier to really um, be able to dive into the, the, uh, the core of a product is if they have a few customers and you can just talk to customers and kind of go through their various pain points and really understand what, you know, how they're using the product and, and how it can be not only super helpful, but maybe expand into, into more use cases. And is that something that you do as an investor? Do you actually, you know, like say it's a, a B2B for plumbers. Do you actually like, you know, get a hold through the the founder, like these plumbers and talk to them and interview them on the product before you invest? Ideally. Yes. You don't always have that opportunity, but yeah. Is that something where the founder's in the room too, kind of a thing? Or is it more like... No, no. You just ask, you know, you say, hey, would you mind uh, asking uh, if we could speak to one or two of your customers? And then from there, 
what we'll do is we'll do some some back channeling and talk to someone that is not one of their customers but is in that same uh, you know category so if you're selling into plumbers for instance i would try to identify someone that i know that that's a plumber that i could talk to that uh present this product and see what their thoughts are essentially try to sell them this product um you know the best the best diligence uh, i think many uh many founders will will say this but the best diligence that vcs can do is uh actually get new customers for that no seriously though yeah um that's good to know yeah i didn't i didn't actually know people uh or vcs when you know went that deep in references and figuring out you know how that company actually works that's pretty good to know laurent thank you for coming on and uh stay safe and you know best of luck with everything you're doing thank you you too man it was nice to chat with you absolutely all right again so laurent's episode is broken into two different segments so this was the pitch deck part that's why there was a kind of an awkward transition there at the end. And then his full and then his full episode's gonna be next week. So obviously he just gave a lot of really incredible advice on pitch decks, and this is exactly what you're gonna encounter when you start approaching the VC world. And then tune in next week to check out his full episode, kind of about his background, how he got to where he is, and then a little bit more about the VC world. And up next, and the final person of the day, we have Vic Saucy with Dreamers VC. Hi everyone. Uh Vic Saucy. Uh, I'm a partner at Dreamers, which is an early stage generalist fund co-founded by Will Smith and an international soccer player named Keisuke Honda. Uh, what's interesting is that we're actually a, you know, we're not offered, a, we're not a traditional celebrity fund or offered to the family office. We're actually structured like a two and 20 venture fund and capitalized with all Japanese limited partners. Um, so uh, we're proud to have part of our capital base, Nomura, the, the large bank, uh, Mitsubishi, uh, Asics, a shoe company, Dentsu, Shiseido, uh, some of the household names over uh, on the other side of the pond. And um, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Corey, for having me. Yeah. So billion questions. First one, got to ask uh, A and B. A, what is it like working with Will Smith, like just <laughs> being, in his, being in his aura? And then B, uh, like how often is he actually involved? Because he's, I mean, I can't imagine how busy he is. Yeah, no. So one is, uh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Even just being in his aura and, and, you know, he has a whole media sort of, uh, I would call him almost call it an empire, a family office. I mean, it's like pushing North of a hundred people just working within, within his orbit and, and not to, um, forget about, you know, his wife who runs a very successful TV show called red table talks and his kids who were, you know, rising icons, Jaden and Willow. Uh, as musicians and artists themselves. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, look, it's every, I, I come from Wisconsin uh, and, you know, it's every bit as exciting and he's every bit as lovable and, you know, disarming as, as one can probably imagine. Um, so, you know, all of that is as expected as, as most of your audience would probably expect. Um, you know, secondly, yeah, he, um, you know, is not as, um, you know, day to day, I would say. I mean, that's sort of why he entrusts folks like myself and, and some of my colleagues um, to do a lot of the decision making um, for which investments we, you know, we pursue, and you know, which ones are we going to put his brand behind. Uh, so one of the folks um, who runs his entire family office and is a CEO of his media um, segment, Westbrook, uh, named Co, uh, is is on the investment committee and is one of the partners of the fund. And um, so that's sort of where we get, you know, the will, the, the whole Smith family's um, involvement. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, too good to be true is probably how I would, you know, describe it all. Yeah, seriously, man. I really, I really can't imagine, man. I mean, well, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was like thinking about, uh, you know, just 
my top five actors and I definitely have to put Will up there. And then, you know, beyond, beyond that, he's got like his rap career and then now he's like in VC and then he's like doing TV. It's just like, you know, he's just doing so much. So such an inspiring person just in general. And I can't imagine what it's like to work for him. So that's very cool. Um, And before we get into the pitch deck stuff, I want to kind of touch on what you mentioned with the whole Japan thing. So are you constantly like flying back and forth with Japan is it kind of like a soft bank situation, preferably the better end of it where, you know, <laughs> they're, uh, they're, uh, you know, investing in a ton of American companies and they've got their money here, there, and there, and there. And then like, um, you don't really hear too much about them or is the, are they super involved? Like what's, what's the whole situation with them? Um, yeah. So, so, you know, the other part of, you know, the, after you get past the, you know, the Will Smith part is, um, you know, it's like, why is all this Japanese capital backing, you know, Will and, and, and the soccer player, Keisuke? Uh, and, and it's basically, you know, what, what Dreamers is trying to do is bridge that, um, that sort of gap in innovation between Silicon Valley and Japan and really Silicon Valley and maybe the rest of the world. Um, you know, I'm certainly not trying to belittle any of the other innovation hubs. They're extremely smart people, extremely talented folks all over the world. But, um, you know, clearly it's very concentrated in, uh, uh, in the Bay Area. And so, yeah, so our capital partners, um, you, know, these, you know, Japan is still, I believe, the third largest economy by GDP, yet um, you know, there really is this sort of lag um, in a lot of the emerging, like, you know, bleeding edge technologies, you know, the ones you've certainly heard of, um, AI, machine learning, blockchain, quantum computing, all the rest. And so um, what we were, you know, the genesis of, of Dreamers was to really sort of um, connect the best and brightest of the valley um, with some of our, um, you know, w- with some of our LPs. And so um, you know, they, they are, they certainly don't, you know, number one, we were a financial returns focused fund. So, you know, we will not make an investment unless we think that it has serious potential to return the fund or give us, you know, some kind of 10 X, 50 X, uh, et cetera, uh, return. Uh, but the second is to actually, yeah, really try and do sort of like a business development, um, to connect them with corporations in Japan and just even just general market entry. Um, so that, that's certainly one of the, um, value as that we bring when we're pitching, um, entrepreneurs. So in regards to the, t- the 10 to 50 X factor, like what do you, and I know you can't just answer this in one sentence. It's not like, Oh, you got to have this. Um, but I mean, like, what are, what are some things that you guys do as a team to evaluate a company to go, okay, I can definitely see this being a 50 X versus just being like, Oh yeah. You know, you can, people drive around in cars, you take them around 50 X. Like what, what are things that you do to kind of like, like actually, tangibly evaluate those yeah uh you know from an early stage and so we're you know we're an early stage fund where it's certainly a lot it's it's more art than science um so you know from a really like seed or pre-seed or something i mean we basically try and look at three main boxes which is uh you know team product and market um you know to, to drill down a little further and and yeah you know it's impossible to sort of have like a checklist of like, you know, it'd be a lot easier. It'd make investing a lot easier if we could just check boxes and then just move on. Um, exactly. But, um, but a, a couple of things that we, that we, we really see uh, that, that I'll just, just slightly touch on here is, um, you know, that, that, that make, make the investment um, a lot more compelling uh, is like a founding team that we, you know, fundamentally just believe in. Um, they don't necessarily need to be, you know, like Olympians or like, you know, prior people, but it's like, ordinary people that have done extraordinary things in their past is sort of how we, you know, it's like a sense of like, like you, you talk to their past, you know, bosses or, or really employees. And, you know, you just get these glowing letters of reference. Um, 
in terms of like like the the product, um, it's like up and to the right user growth uh, and and maybe engagement too, ideally organic. Um, you know, so these are the things that uh, folks saw in like Snapchat early on. You know, Snapchat is still as a public company unprofitable, but they just saw and, and you're seeing it with TikTok now of just this unbelievable engagement um, and just you know viral social growth. Um, another thing we look for is like a potential for uncapped upside, um, if it works, also known as like a blue sky potential. So this tends to happen in, in newer markets. Um, and so some of the things that we're probably seeing with Corona right now um, is just like the new normal that we're all adjusting into um, is, you know, who would have thought that, um, you know, I, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, there are a number of things I can go into, but, it, you know, it's just opening up a, a whole different uh, lay of land. Um Fourth is it's kind of like, you know, have the, has, has a company figured out a business model um, and it's fine if they haven't and if they're pre-revenue, but is there at least some kind of compelling monetization opportunity, um, you know, that, that we can sort of say we have line of sight towards. Um, another thing is, and then the, the last two are, are, are a lot harder to sort of select for, um, but it's like if there's a even just a compelling theory on defensibility as they sort of look to build a moat, you know, in the coming uh, weeks, months and years. Um, and then finally, the last, which is just ideally being a capital light business. I mean, that's just a, um, you know, that, 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 that's like a nice to have, certainly not a need to have, but that explains, you know, software returns and multiples and, um, you know, an Uber, you know, things like that as well. Well, boom, there you go. Everyone listening now knows how to, you know, partner with Dreamers VC. That's all you got to do. You got to <laughs> save, save, save the world, have an awesome company and have some traction. There you go. <laughs> exactly. um, so, so What's the, as a VC, what's the best way for someone to not just send their pitch deck to you, but like to actually get you to look at their pitch deck? Um, so, you know, one, I will say, uh, I, I actually have a, I, I, I know Silicon Valley and, and, and venture funds in particular are very insular. And so, and it's hard to crack in if you don't have the right network. So I will be very clear. And, and I, and I've said this in, you know, in past podcasts and everything, like we do respond to every single email uh, we do review every single pitch deck that's come in cold, uh, whether they're cold emailing us or sending it through our website. Um, so, you know, just so you like, you will get a fair shake. That said, we haven't yet made an investment in any of those for lots of reasons, though, though we have come close. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the best way to sort of do, I mean, ideally not to sort of, you know, like walk back what I said is like, yeah, if you do, if you can get a warm intro from anybody on LinkedIn or like a mutual friend or or something, or, or there's like something like, hey, like we just graduated from, you know, Techstars, you know, this class, we're looking at this, you know, we saw, we saw that in your portfolio that you've invested in similar companies, or, you know, you went on Corey's podcast, and you talked about, you know, these six things, we check five of those boxes, like that, you know, if you are going to cold email, try and make it as maybe not personal, but just compelling or something. It's not just like a stock, like, People are just using mail merge and replacing Vic and Dreamers with, you know, those fill in the blanks. And those are like, I, you know, it's like the same amount of, like you can tell how much effort people put into it. Um, and I will respect and give you that same sort of effort back is, is kind of the, the, the perspective we take. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll respond to cold emails, but if you do, if you can get a warm intro, obviously, it, you know, it sort of helps. Um, not going to lie. I like that, man. I mean, it is super obvious. The other day, this guy sent me and I'm not even like a person that you should like desperately have to cold outreach to send me an email. This guy sent me an email and it was like, Hey man, like check out, you know, we've been looking at your website and it was like a poorly cropped version of my website on the computer he was holding up. And it was like 
folding over the computer and i was like dude that obviously you did <laughs> you just auto cropped <laughs> that and why would i care like i don't you know um but no, that's cool i mean the same effort that they put into it you're going to put in back to it that's that's a really respectful way to do it and um yeah obviously i can't imagine the kind of massive inflow of emails you guys get all the time um and i can't imagine anyone i mean i can definitely imagine people doing it but if you actually want to get with dreamers vc i can't imagine you not taking a second and sending an actual email <laughs> like prioritizing that um so how involved is like a that for example like how involved is will on that is he like do you guys do all the deal flow and then him and his main partner they kind of like stamp of approval it or like you just keep you just do it and he just like gets a text on what the update is like what is his uh, involvement level on that yeah so so one of the, so so co the um the fellow i mentioned earlier who runs his family office um comes to all of our you know it, it's an integral part of the team um sits in our investment committees you know we're very active on our telegram and slack channels um and so yeah so i mean basically like you know when it comes to like he will sort of entrust co uh and, and our team to not uh you know make any investments that could lead to potential brand dilution for the family you know all, all the usual stuff you can probably expect from from folks in the limelight um so yeah but but certainly when it comes to you know responding to cold emails or things from the website and even just general inbound uh yeah that largely falls to me and my uh and our colleagues on the team will you know, I, I, I just want to break it to the audience. Yeah, he will not be responding uh, <laughs> to, to a cold email, especially. Uh, he should, though. Every once in a while, he should just, you know, just mess around and just be like, hey, it's Will. Love the email, you know. Oh, I would do that if I were him. Just to mess around. Yeah, I mean, he, he does. He actually loves doing that just outside of venture. Like, he'll go to, like, he, he once went, he was in London. And, uh, you know, he and, and his son, Jaden, have this uh, box water company called Just. And so they, you know, Will dressed up as a uh, as a cashier at like the wall. It's called Boots, um, you know, kind of like the Walgreens over there and like was like checking people out. And then like, you know, some of the, you know, British folks were like, wait, aren't you? And, you know, he had like glasses on. So, no, he actually loves engaging with his audience and i think has done a fantastic job of, of doing it you know genuinely i should say it's not just like absolutely yeah so um yeah the, the venture side is as you can probably imagine like not as much of a priority as just you know his movies his music and all this other stuff um but but he definitely does do that just in different capacities yeah no that, i mean i can totally see him doing that um so Next time I email you, it's probably going to be from you, but I'll, I'll pretend that Will just took over your email for a sec. I should just um, change my signature. Yeah, that would solve a lot of from problems. From Will, exactly. Exactly. No, that wouldn't solve, that would give you way more problems. <laughs> no, know. that's true. You'd be getting way more emails. Um, so how many uh, pitch decks do you guys think you get per day? Um, per day, I would probably say, I mean, I can probably say, I guess I can do it by year. We probably look at about 1,500 to 2,000 companies per year um and there and there's a great variance because we get a lot of opportunity like i'd say 1500 pure play startups and then honestly the other 500 can be like lots of adjacent opportunity business opportunities that i wouldn't you know qualify as like early stage or so um yeah so yeah so 1500 a year i mean that's like you know 100 and some per month which is maybe you know four or five per day i guess is is uh is five per day or so um on average that's crazy and and then uh have you been involved since the beginning or what like when did you step on board the team yeah so i was uh previously at a fintech and suretech focused fund um i joined in november of 2018 and uh i guess the, i think the fund had officially launched basically in october so 
Um, oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they're very much, I think there was only one investment that had gone through before I joined. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I've been here, you know, essentially for all, and now we have 50, we're proud to have 51 portfolio companies. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild ride over the last, you know, 17 months or so. And then, and I'm just going to keep venturing away from pitch decks. I don't think the audience is going to care at all. Um, so when you guys first started your VC, like, are you basically going, okay, we got a billion dollars from Japan and we got Will Smith, like send your pitch decks or did you guys have to actually do outreach? Like, are you, like actually that's the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, very much. I, I mean, we are fortunate, especially coming from my old fund where I had to go pound the pavement, you know, get in front of founders, sell our money um, to dreamers where, you know, nearly 100% of our deal flow is inbound, um, you know, coming from all sorts of various different, uh, you know, channels. Um, I, I will say that said is that like, I mean, we all, all of the investment partners, you know, we all have established networks, uh, of VCs and, you know, and, and a bunch of others who, who send us opportunities. And so it certainly, you know, it comes from other investors who are investing and they're like, Hey, do you want to co-invest? Um, you know, we, there's a little bit of a slug left in this and send us some materials. Uh, I mean, it comes from lawyers, lots of these startup lawyers, uh, are very much in the know. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty, um, you know, when you have somebody like Will and, and even the, the Jap, you know, I really don't want to shortchange the Japanese connection because, you know, this is a, uh, you know, it's still a third largest economy by GDP. I mean, these are massive companies and it's, you know, and, and they're a lot more willing to take risks and like integrate an early stage startups, you know, product, uh, than most would give them credit for. And so, um, and cer certainly if you're a later stage company entering global growth mode, so, um, yeah, so to answer your question, which I'm being long-winded about, um, you know, deal flow comes from all different sources, um, from, you know, our lawyers, our other investor friends, uh, even folks in media and entertainment that want, you know, like a tentpole, like we'll, you know, build a product around, et cetera. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but, but also just, just to not, um, forget about that, like the Japanese connection can be very crucial, um, especially for a lot of enterprise focused companies where, you know, having will on their cap table doesn't really change their, uh, trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. And and what uh, how long do you think it took before you guys kind of like had it made a name for yourself, or do you feel like you didn't really want to, or you feel like you're not really like there yet? Because I hadn't really heard of you guys until um, a little while ago. Um, obviously, that doesn't really matter because you're not like struggling for attention, nor are you doing any advertisement. So, I mean, what was your guys like? Because there's the tech stars of the world, and you know the um. Sequoia? Why can't I think of the name? Am I saying yeah. that right? Sequoia? Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's all these giant companies and funds in tech, and then you guys have this massive portfolio as well, but I feel like you're not as well, like not as talked about. Right. Um, so what what is your guys' stance on that? Do you guys like kind of being in the back, just like, yeah, we got a ton of money and a ton of cool companies, like come to us if you hear about us, or are you kind of looking to become a more and more like prominent VC? Yeah, I, uh, definitely the latter. I mean, we certainly are. We, we, we hope to be around for, for a while and actually build a, you know, build a real investment platform here. Um, but that said, we, yeah, we, we've tried to be a little select, a little more selective about, you know, how do we sort of going about build a brand? We, we very much believe in, you know, Warren Buffett. I, I'm not even sure if he is the rightful owner of this quote of like, you know, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation, but you can, you know, drown, you know, it, it can sink in two minutes or something. Um, yeah, I mean, it's actually kind of hard. I mean, you know, one is part of it is just a reflection of like the early stage fund market where, 
there have never been more emerging managers. You know, you have a lot of like established VCs at great funds, you know, going off to start their own fund or even just folks who are leaving the Ubers and Airbnbs being like, we're just going to back other founders coming out of Uber and Airbnb and, and all these things. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to be a little more thoughtful. And, you know, at the end of the day, like venture is, we're, we're really not trying to conflate venture with the traditional retail consumer and like, you know, trying to go going after likes and like, you know, Instagram stuff. And it's like, at the end of the day, like what matters is good old fashioned, um, you know, picking the stocks, you know, it's sourcing them, maintaining a good network, picking which investments are going to, you know, are going to actually win. And then like being a good portfolio manager and, you know, having that value add for them whenever, um, you know, whenever and wherever we can. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like we would always rather be a top performing fund that no one knows about than a second or third tier fund that everybody knows about. So um, that that's just in our like just general ethos. And that's what I kind of figured too. And I didn't mean that. I don't think you took it this way, but I didn't mean that anyway. And to be disrespectful, but I, I felt like that's kind of what you guys were doing is you know, we're, we're this badass VC, like we're not going to have Instagram ads. We might not even have an Instagram. I don't even know if you guys have an Instagram, but it's like, you're, you're getting all these amazing deal flows. You're successful. Your companies are happy. Like, why do you care? You know, like you're not, you don't need to be on the cover of magazines and stuff like that, maybe eventually, but that was kind of the vibe I got. So I just wanted to kind of confirm that's kind of where you guys were at. Yeah, um, yeah no, exactly. And, and no offense taken, I, I totally understood what you meant. And, and yeah, no, that, that's precisely it. And the longer I've spent in venture and just, you know, even on the investing side, like there are way more sort of um, like under the radar phenomenal investors uh, than there are like ones who are prominent and, you know, running around and everything. But proof is in the performance. And um, yeah, that's all that matters at the end of the day from, uh, from, from an investment perspective. Uh, so yeah, that's all we're gunning for. Very cool, man. No, I, I love it, man. And uh, so back to pitch decks, which I'm supposed to be talking about. Uh, do you guys read every page of the pitch deck or, or you know, I guess you personally? So when you get a pitch deck, is it pretty obvious right away that you're like, eh, this is not for us? Or are you like, okay, I always have to read three slides. Like what is your kind of, do you have like a mindset on that? Um, I try to, you know, kind of going back to like according the founder, like all everything that they can, uh, you know, the same amount of effort they put in. Uh, I mean, look, obviously, you know, there are some pretty zany ideas out there that get pitched. And so, yeah, we know basically from day one that we're probably not going to fund like a marketplace for like folks to change like everyone else's cat litter or something, you know, and like we have seen and that, that, yeah. that by the way, that's like a not not even that crazy compared to some of the some of the stuff that's out there um but yeah but you know we'll go through it i mean part of it is like you know a lot of people attribute performance and venture to pattern recognition and so they're like you know just go through these things you know, you'll always pick up something that you you know that you may like or that may or that you just be like wow i never want to see that again and i want to tell the founders that we've backed like don't put that don't put that in um and, and i'm kind of like looking at this of like a a deck that, you know, we may invest in that, you know, just comes in. That's not like totally crazy or, or whatever. Um, the one thing I, I do and like, you know, kind of going back to this, like giving them every effort is that like, and this, this is a very trite, um, you know, you know, sort of saying is that like, you know, founders truly are giving it their all uh, for the most part. They work far harder than any investor does on orders of magnitude greater uh, and, and Ben Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz has, you know, once said this, that, um, 
you know, Andrew, you know, they basically said like, if, if any of the investors ever trashes a founder or their idea or product, you know, on one of our internal Slack channels or like out loud or something like that is grounds for dismissal. Like at no point will we ever, even, even personally, even within our own four walls ever, you know, have that attitude that like, you know, like what somebody is dedicating their life to is, you know, somehow stupid or whatever. And so I, I again, like I, I'm not trying to like walk back the, the cat litter thing. Like I hope it becomes while successful, it just may not be with our capital, but like, I'm never trying to sort of belittle them or, um, or do any of that. So, um, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I, we, we sincerely do try and go through, uh, every slide. Um, you know, maybe we won't go through the appendix, but, um, yeah, it can be, and, and these will be quick flip throughs. Let me, let me be very clear. I'm not spending an hour on, on all of these, but, um, a couple of minutes, five minutes, maybe, maybe a lot more if it's like, you know, in our wheelhouse. So is there a specific order that you look for in pitch decks? Like, would you teach someone a specific order or does it kind of depend on the team and like depend on where their traction is and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it does. Um, in terms of like the order, uh, yeah, I mean, one would be like, you know, I, obviously we like to, we, we kind of assume like the team has to be there. If the team doesn't show up, I don't care what you're building. Like we're, we're automatically probably not going to back you. Um, simply because like a good team can take a bad product and bad market and still potentially make something, but a bad team will likely never be able to do, you know, something with the other two. Um, but yeah, I mean, a large market, you know, this is something that Don Valentine who started Sequoia has always said, you know, like, you know, show me a large market and, um, you know, and essentially it's like, even if you don't, you know, obviously the, 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 the probability of returning something meaningful is it just means you have to get like basis point of market share and boom, you could potentially be a, you know, multi-hundred million dollar company. Um, smaller markets are a little harder because it's like, okay, well, this basically needs to be like winner take all. And then we need to have the confidence that you can actually go and displace all of these incumbents. Um, so yeah, so market matters a lot. And then, um, you know, product though, yeah, at the early stage, I mean, oftentimes they're just trying to send out an MVP or something. Um, I, I'm kind of giving you a non-answer. I mean, I'm basically just re rehashing like team product market, but um, in, in terms of like prioritizing or ranking or something, I mean, it's 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 kind of impossible to um, since it's just so so different on a deal by deal basis. No, absolutely. Um, and my next couple of questions were kind of about like the founders and team slides, but you kind of already covered that. So I'm going to touch on projections, and I'll ask this in a couple different segments. So. When a company is pre-revenue, how seriously do you take, you know, like crazy hockey stick projections? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, um, man, it's kind of one of these things. It's it, it's really messed up. And we, and we talk about this openly. It's like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't as a founder. Because obviously we need to see, you know, crazy, you know, crazy growth. Otherwise, like, why would we want to back you? But then if you do show me this hockey stick, then it's like, okay, like what planet are you living on? You don't have a product. Like how do you expect to be making $200 million of ARR in three years or something? Um, one thing I will say to that, and I think this is a, a fairly um, agreed upon answer from both founder and investor is that we just look at like, what are your, so one is, you know, what your experience in the industry, uh, but essentially, you know, that sort of leads into what assumptions are going into the, your model. Um, and how much can you back those up? And, um, you know, are these like, uh, other, you know, current competitors in the market and this is what they're charging. And that's why you think you can sort of be, you know, beat them on price and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so ultimately it comes into the assumptions that go into the model, not too dissimilar from, 
you know, we're living in this coronavirus now and everybody, you know, the model, the models keep changing on a, like a, you know, day by day basis. And so you'll hear a lot of epidemiology. It's like the whole model, it depends on what assumptions go in. And so if they're like very validated, if the team has done their work, uh, if they even have like non-public info in the sense that like they just left, uh, you know, Dell or Cisco or something. And they're like, actually, you know, this is what the real cost to a big company is. So like, I know we can beat it or whatever. Um, then it really comes off as extremely meaningful. So um, yeah, that, that's probably how we would look at those crazy projections. And I'm glad you said damned if you do, damned if you don't, because I literally could not agree more. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been going to do like a pitch or I've been talking with like a VC or an angel and one person tells me this is ridiculous. You can't do that. And the next person's like, oh, you got to show this crazy growth. And it's like, exactly. I mean, if you show crazy growth, they're like, well, how are you going to do that? And you're like, well, this, you're like, they're like, eh, I don't know about that. And then if you don't show any growth, it's like, why would I put my money in this? So right. um, there, there's definitely a sweet spot that's very hard to find. Um, so if you got any tips on that, I'm uh, more than uh, more than happy to hear it. But uh, we'll move on, move on to the next question. Um, so how important for your VC is traction? Um, we look at, I mean, it, it's, look, it, it's a nice to have. It's an extremely nice to have, but it's not a need to have. Um and, and if you are going to be pre-traction, then, you know, it, it was kind of going back to, you know, some of the, one of the things, you know, it's like, do you have like a compelling, you know, theory on, uh, or, you know, is there a compelling monetization opportunity coming up or, you know, essentially it's like, if you're pre-traction, it's totally fine, but why, you know, is it because your product isn't built out yet? Is it because you haven't spent a lot on marketing? Is it because, you know, you, know, you, you, you essentially give me your your, you know, what the answer is, and we'll see if that, you know, like, does an investment at this time sort of jive with getting you to traction? Um, and, and don't get me wrong, like, there, I mean, there are companies like we've done, uh, you know, we did Elon Musk's Neuralink, this brain computer interface, this company won't have, I mean, yeah, there's going to be some peer reviewed publications out of all the stuff they do. But like, we're talking like a 10 year timeline, um, 15, I mean, who knows? to like literally connect the brain to a computer. And so it's like, obviously yeah, exactly. they're not gonna have any traction and all these things, but it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's like just have, make sure there's a justification for, you know, why not, or at what point will there be? And then, and then if so, like, what does that sort of translate into meaningful returns? And so obviously if they figure that out, you know, we kind of do like an expected value of like, if you do, you know, get traction, you know, if you are taking time to build your product or whatever, um, you know, there's obviously an opportunity cost, but like, if you do get it out in a year or something, does that transit into a much more meaningful, um, you know, chance of, uh, you know, growing virally, et cetera, um, and thus making you a much more highly higher valued company or, you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm zeroing in on this one example, but yeah, ultimately it's just like, you know, tell us why you don't have traction. And I think with that Elon example, that's such a cool idea. It's, if I were a VC, I'd be like, yeah, to take a million bucks, so that'd be really cool. <laughs> you know, like either you're a trillionaire or you lose a million bucks on that one. But I mean, that sounds like an ins or, or the world gets shut down somehow because of robots. But right. one of those three things going to happen. So I'm um, just kind of rolling the dice. So uh, would you personally ever be a shark on Shark Tank? And then why or why not? Would I personally ever be? Um yeah, I mean, I, I would, I guess, just because it, it seems like it'd be pretty fun. 
Uh, that said, I have, uh, well, one, at my old fund, um, you know, we backed Jamie Siminoff from Ring, who, you know, went on Shark Tank as Doorbot. And, and, we, and we, you know, we, we've gotten to know folks, we've co-invested with Mark Cuban and, and lots of folks who have gone on the show. Uh, one thing that's not revealed, and, and I, I believe it's like, even after there's a handshake on the show, uh, you know, there's obviously lots of editing that takes place that can like, you know, sort of change the angle of like what actually happened. But really, it's like even after there's a handshake, apparently it's only like a 10% or 15% chance of a transaction actually being consummated. So, oh, yeah, um, I've interviewed like six different people from Shark Tank and it's, oh, right. yeah, on, on, on this podcast. And yeah, it's, it's cr- like they, I've had each person go into a different like angle, like, but it's like approaching the stand and then like there's a bleachers to your left with like 30 people and then like the deals never go through. And so, yeah, there's some, cr- but I mean like from the shark side, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so, yeah, from, from uh, shark, it's pretty yeah. cool, but like, I, I guess it's, I, I mean, it is kind of like, um, it, it seems like they really give like these like usurious, these onerous terms, um, you know, to the founders. And it's like, I never look, they're all very smart and very successful uh, you know, I hope to, you know, to, to be in their league at some point. Um, but that said, it's like, I never want to be known. I, like, I, I never want to have a handshake and like have a founder walk away and be like, you know, like, well, they really gypped us or something. And like, like, that's just not a really a business relationship that I ever want to like start off in. Um, and so hopefully that, that doesn't actually happen that much in the show. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's. I, I definitely have some apprehension about, like, even just being called a shark. It's like, you know, if you're like a personal lender and they're like, "Oh, this is my loan shark friend," it's like, <laughs> exactly. I don't exactly have a good impression from you know off, right off the bat. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. And actually, our, our speaking of what you just said, our our first episode on here was my buddy David, and he got a deal with Damon John, and he felt like, I mean, now like they're killing it. They're with Disney and Marvel, and like it it, it changed the the you know the face of their platform forever but i mean at the time he talks about like post deal they they basically let's say they had like a three million going in and they ended up doing a deal at like a 1.2 million and they were already doing like hundreds of thousands in sales and so david went back and he said he was in the trailer and he almost fainted and he had to have like um like a, a some sort of you know therapist or something like that come into the booth and like talking through it because like he realized he had just given up such a big chunk of his company for almost no money. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of those deals. I mean, obviously it's worked out really well. He loves Damon. They're both very well, you know, uh, involved in that company. And, um, but yeah, I think there's just a lot of those deals that go through and yeah, I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy, but, but uh, right. from what I've heard, everyone that's gotten the deal has said it's worth it. So, I mean, uh, you, you never know. Yeah. Um, that's good. Yeah, and and then uh, with the, with the pitch decks, what's like a number of slides that you think is too many? I mean, at a certain point, we're doing like a full PDF, and then you know, at a certain point, it's too little. So, what do you, what do you think in that range is? Yeah, I think a nice um, a nice like is like twelve to fifteen. Um, like, I think that's enough for every founder. Uh, you know, at, at like a pre Series B company, let's just say maybe pre you know Series A or earlier. Um, to like succinctly um, deliver, you know, you know, their sort of what, what you know, their product, et cetera, go into all these things. Um, and yeah, anything more than that it, it is fine. I mean, I mean, obviously if it's like a complex, you know, artificial intelligence, something, and you want to like explain the algorithm, like if, if it's technical, then I'm by no means saying leave that out. Um, you can put it in an appendix or, or you can, you know, what I actually um, advise, you know, some of our founders is like, 
One is, you know, have sort of like a short deck that you're open with people forwarding in case like the investor doesn't want to, but they have friends that would. Um, and then a much longer one for when you're actually like, you know, in diligence or like, you know, get a proper intro. Um, but yeah, but I think 12 to 15 is, you know, seems to be on average, like a nice, you know, you can take, a, you know, 30 seconds per slide, go through the, you know, go through everything. Um, and uh, yeah, because, you know, candidly, we don't want to be spending more than five, ten, you know, 10 minutes, I guess, on like a deck. And it's like, just let me, you know, let me have that. Let me go through a list of questions and then like get on the phone with uh, with the founder. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, Farhaj, who I introduced you to and is also going to be sharing this uh, episode with you, uh, said the same thing too. I mean, he's got like decks on decks for like every scenario, you know, right. always, always ready to go. So I think there's a, a happy medium and at least having, you know, one one shorter deck and then one deck with like a full appendix and all that kind of stuff or extra info with traction and all that kind of stuff. So totally agree. Yeah, Vic, this was really cool. I mean, I uh, I feel like we're at this weird medium where we've done way too long of a pitch deck talk and then we've done almost enough for like a full episode. <laughs> so I'm trying to like <laughs> figure out if we should just do your full interview right now. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this is perfect. Um, I mean, definitely excited to have you on here. Definitely excited to have your perspective with, you know, the amazing VC that you're with, with, with Dreamers. So um, yeah, I just appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah, likewise. Um, excited to to hear um, you know hear this when it when it when it's released. Um, and then yeah, to the extent that I can ever be you know helpful to, to you or your you know really your your audience, your listeners, and everything. Um, yeah, my email is vic v i k at dreamers I, I, I'm assuming you'll probably put this in the show notes or something. But um, yeah, always Absolutely. you know happy to chat to um, you know ask aspiring prospective founders. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, Vic, I'll, I'll be sure to put everything in the show notes and um, hopefully you don't get too many emails. I don't have like an insanely big audience or anything like that. But, yeah, right. um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see what Will thinks of the episode maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Vic, I appreciate you having you on, man. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you very soon. Follow up with you. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Corey. Take care. Absolutely, man. Thanks again to everyone who's listening now for season three. This isn't a huge podcast by any means, but we just hit another 10,000 downloads for season two. To be honest, I'm just really glad that people are coming back and listening to multiple episodes and telling me about them. It's just, it's just exciting for me. I've been able to meet the coolest people. I've had some of the most incredible conversations and I've honestly learned a lot. Had it not been for entrepreneurship, I wouldn't have met any of these people. And I can officially say that I've completed over 60 amazing podcast interviews. Let's keep them coming. Uh, don't forget to download the WeStrive app. Leave us five stars if you can. And if you're a personal trainer, be sure to sign up at train.westriveapp.com. Thanks again for all your support. Subscribe if you can. And have an incredible week. We strive.